Well, good morning again, uh, 59th Street family. Of course, as always, we welcome those of you who are joining us a little bit later today um, as we move forward in our sermon series, um, Tales of Timeless Wisdom. And this is where we're, we've been looking throughout uh, the various wisdom literature found in Scripture. And we try to see what we can gain um, from, from these lessons and how we can practically apply it into our lives so that we can also have um, a wise faith. Now, last week, we, we talked about... Um, uh, it's a little bizarre. We talked about my favorite subject of all time concerning the root cause um, of all suffering, but also the only way to find satisfaction and joy. Um, so last week, we, we took a look at the start of Ecclesiastes. We took a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, uh, but today we're going to be looking at the final chapter, the final chapter of Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes 12. Now, when it comes to wisdom literature, a big part of it is, is it teaches us how to overcome adversity. It teaches us how to overcome uh, the difficulties of life, right? How do we build up the strength to endure through trials? How do we build up uh, the, the, the power or the mastery of patience and perseverance? And when it comes to these traits of endurance, patience, and perseverance, um, for me at least, one story that comes to my mind um, is the 1984 classic film, uh, The Karate Kid. So we don't, we don't have slides today, but if you can just imagine, or if you can just like recollect uh, back into the 1980s, The Karate Kid. Um, one would call this a children's movie, uh, but if you actually look deeply at this movie, it's actually much more than just some kid doing you know, karate moves. It actually teaches a lot about the idea of mentorship, the idea of passing on wisdom, and also the victory that we achieve as we remember, as we look back and remember what we are taught. I'm sure most of us are, are familiar with this movie, but for those who are not, uh, there's a young kid, his name is Daniel. His name is Daniel, and he moves into a new town only to quickly be bullied uh, by, by some kids. But at the same time, Daniel, he, he comes across a, a humble janitor named Mr. Miyagi, who has a hidden talent in karate. And under Miyagi's mentorship, Daniel, he begins to embark on this journey, not just to learn how to defend himself, but also to understand deeper life principles. And one of the most iconic and enduring scenes of this film is, is when Mr. Miyagi instructs Daniel to, you know, wax on, wax off, a pretty seemingly mundane task um, that Daniel doesn't, you know, like, why, why are you asking me to, like, wax your cars? Why are you asking me to, like, paint your fences or, like, sand the floors? Um, and Daniel, he, he gets quite frustrated. Like, why is this guy asking me to, to clean his house, to basically do his work for him? He sees all these chores as irrelevant to his goal of learning how to fight against his other bullies. But then the light bulb begins to turn on when Mr. Miyagi teaches Daniel that these repetitive motions that he has learned is he's building these muscle memories, these foundations for core defensive karate techniques. And so for painting the brush, you have, you know, the karate up block, ageuke. Anyways, sorry. But anyways, Daniel, he learns a very invaluable lesson through this, to trust and also to remember the wisdom of his mentor. And the narrative, it resonates profoundly with the message of Ecclesiastes 12, uh, which urges us to remember our creator in the days of our youths before the difficulties of life comes. I think like Daniel, we often find ourselves in situations where the path forward is pretty unclear, uh, where the lessons that we are learning and the trials we face seem pretty disconnected from each other. And I think in our youths, for some of you who are in your youths, 
much like Daniel, we're often impatient. We're eager to see immediate results, quick fixes to our problems. But the wisdom that we learn from Scripture, akin to Mr. Miyagi's guidance, is that we are to develop a foundation, right? If we're going to be good Christians, we have to develop the foundation that will prepare us for the future, the so, the quote-unquote, wax on and wax off of our spiritual lives, uh, which for us might be learning how to read the Bible daily, learning how to pray daily, these mundane tasks that feel so boring, these are the tasks that will ultimately set us forward and allow us to achieve victory as, as we move on in our lives. But also, as we continue to grow older, as we reach the middle of our lives, our challenges also evolve, right? Daniel, when he gets punched in the face, he forgets everything that he learns. And likewise, as adults, we get punched in the face quite a lot, not by people, but by life. Um, and it is in these moments where we are knocked down by life that we have to remember our Creator all the more. And our passage, as, as we're going to take a look a little bit later, reminds us that even during the busiest seasons of, a lot of our lives, we must remember our Creator. We must ground ourselves in the wisdom that we have uh, gathered, and we have to continue to seek guidance and to find strength in God. But also, for the rest of you, in the later stages of life, much like Mr. Miyagi, reflecting on his own journey, we are also called to look back in order to allow the next generation to move forward. It's a time for us to reflect on our, on our legacy, to reflect on our accomplishments, but we're also reminded and called to pass on this wisdom that we have gained, much like Mr. Miyagi with Daniel. And so with these themes in mind, I, I want us to explore uh, today Ecclesiastes tr uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 7. And it's actually a very, it's, it's, it's very haunting, but also beautiful at the same time. So let's read this. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the lights and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return from after the rain. And here, if, if from verse 3 onward, this is where Solomon shifts the metaphor and he starts talking about the human body. When the keepers of the house, your hands, tremble, and the strong men, your legs, stoop, when the grinders, your teeth, cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows, which are your eyes, grow dim, and when the doors of the streets are closed and the sound of the grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, your ears, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, the frailty of age, and when the almond tree blossoms, um, which is your hair growing white, and the grasshopper drags itself along and desires no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. So remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. If we notice in our passage, Solomon, in the, in the very first verse, he calls us to remember our creator in the days of our youth. But by the final verse, we see that God, uh, Solomon, again, calls us to remember our creator before we die. 
And so by setting up the passage this way where he calls our youths to, uh, where we're called to remember God in our youths and during our final days, it's actually a call for us to remember God throughout our entire lives. And so what I, I, want, what I want to do today um, is to split up this, this sermon into three major parts of our lives. While we are young and still students, our lives when we become full members of society, and finally, our lives as we begin our retirement and our old age. And what I want to explore in, in each stage of life is, one, why should we even believe in God? Why should we even remember God? Two, what are some common barriers that prevent us from remembering him? And finally, three, how can we practically develop a deeper relationship with God in this specific period of our lives? And so I, I encourage you, you know, as, as I go through these, even, even if it's not your particular age group that you're in, I encourage you to listen nonetheless, because it might be useful information in the future, but it's also useful wisdom that you can use to minister to those who are younger than you. And so let's start off uh, with the springtime of our life, our youth. And this is perhaps, I think, the, the most exciting portion of our lives, because literally, Everything is new, right? Every experience is new. Every vacation you visit is new. Every, every school you visit, every city you visit, everything is new. The world is an adventure, and there are so many things that you guys have yet to experience. And sometimes, you know, when, when I'm on Instagram or on YouTube, sometimes I come across videos of young puppies or bear cubs trying to follow their mom, only to be distracted by, like, a balloon or by, by a flower. And I think... It's pretty common, not just for animals, but also for youths as well. When you guys are trying to figure out your path in life, as you guys are trying to figure out who you are, there are so many distractions. There are so many things that are around you trying to grab your attention, whether that's social media or TikTok. It hits us with all these sort of things, all sorts of different things, trying to take our attention away. And as a result, because we're always distracted, left and right, left and right, we often end up confused. We often end up unsure on how to navigate through life. And so why is it important to remember God at this stage of your life? We see the only way for bear cubs and puppies to survive and not get lost is if they keep their eyes forward, if they continue to look and follow their mom. Yes, there will of course be times where they will wander off and look at random things that catch their attention, but they realize that the only way for them to live, the only way for them to survive, is if they turn their eyes back to their mom as they continue to look forward and run towards her. And so likewise, for you students and for you young kids at this stage in your life, it's important for you guys to turn your eyes back to the God of life. It's true. The world has so many things that we can enjoy, and it's okay to enjoy them, but to live properly, to live well, means that we look forward. We look at God more than we look at the things and the teachings of this world. It's not always easy to do this, right? I think one of the most common barriers is that it's not, it's not necessarily very popular to be Christian in this day and age. Uh, we are all looked like at weirdos, or we are looked like we're part of a cult. Uh, because of what the Bible teaches, a lot of us uh, live in, you know, we live differently than how the rest of the world lives. We are taught 
different things than what the, uh, than what the world teaches. And if you, if you look at what the Bible teaches us, a lot of what the Bible teaches us is seen as garbage by the rest of this world. But at the same time, what the world teaches as important, the Bible teaches us that that is actually garbage. And so how do we make sure that we live well and develop a deeper relationship with our God, given this problem? And I think one of the ways is to find a spiritual teacher, for you guys who are still young, to find a spiritual teacher, to find a mentor. The thing is, you all, you learn math, you learn English from people who know more than you, who are better than you. You learn sports from people who have mastered the sport itself. And if you look around you guys today, you might see that there are many people in your midst who know quite a lot about God. And so build a relationship with them, and they will show you the way. And I can promise you, they're all very kind people, so don't be afraid to ask them. But at the same time, another practical consideration for you guys is this is the most important time to begin to learn spiritual disciplines. This is when we begin to learn to prioritize reading our Bible and prioritize prayer. And that means, yes, prayer and reading the Bible is more important than your homework. It's more important than your exams. It might be difficult to see why now, but by setting up this foundation now, you'll be able to endure anything that comes your way in the future. This is also the best time to develop friendships with other Christians your age, to mutually encourage each other from the Bible, and to help one another, to pray with one another, to serve one another. And as you share the gospel with your Christian friends, it's also the best time for you guys to develop the discipline and the habit to share Jesus to those who might not know him yet, to tell them that there is a God who loves them. But the thing is, we all can't remain kids forever, right? We grow up, we graduate, we get internships, and then we finally enter into the working world as adults. And for us, I think this is the peak of our lives where we become established members of society with various roles and various responsibilities. But this is also the stage where the need for biblical wisdom is increased even more. Why? Because we have so much on our plate, right? We have to learn at the stage what it means to be a Christian at the workplace, which Hoi Wing has, has led a discipleship group on. We have to learn what it means to be a biblical mother, to be a biblical father. This is where we have to learn biblical wisdom in regards to how we handle our finances and how we even interact with one another on a person-to-person -person basis. And so to navigate this portion of your life, to navigate all the complexities of life well, we need to remember our Creator. To find peace in the storm of life, we need to remember our Creator. And as we get punched down and knocked down by life, we again need to remember our creator. And I think one of the most common barriers I see is that when I tell people like, oh, you know, have you been reading your Bible? Like, have you been praying? They're like, Pastor Brandon, you don't understand. I have no time. You know, I work nine hours a day. Sometimes I have to bring work home while trying to take care of my kids. And then there's family stuff going on that I need to take care of. I also have my own personal troubles I'm trying to navigate through. There's simply not enough time in the day to get all of this done. I don't even have time for my friends anymore. How can I even begin to read the Bible? And the thing is, I hear you. I really do. 
because I struggle with this as well. The thing is, there are so many things that we're trying to juggle, and there's only 24 hours a day, um, a quarter of which we spend sleeping, so really there's only 16 to 18 hours a day. And so how do we navigate through this life that's always busy, always busy? In our discipleship course, um, one of the first things we read is a short essay titled Tyranny of the Urgent by Charles Hummel. If you, it's actually, I believe it's free online if you, if you want to read it for yourself. Tyranny of the Urgent. And what Hummel argues is the issue, the issue, the real issue, isn't that we don't have enough time. Because even if by some miracle God gave us an extra six hours a day, we'd still spend those extra six hours frantically trying to get things done. And so the issue isn't that we don't have enough time. The issue is how do we prioritize our time? You see, there's a constant tension between things that are important and also things that are urgent. Sometimes there's some overlap where things are both important or urgent, but consider it for a while as black and white. It'll, it'll, help, you, it'll help you understand this a little bit better. More often than not, our lives are filled with things that are urgent, but not important, deadlines we have to meet, right, so to say. And because we fill our lives with things that are constantly urgent, all these deadlines, we leave very little room for things that are actually important, things that can actually change our lives. I'm a big fan of um, all-you-can-eat barbecue or hot pot. And I would always try to like maximize the full value out, out of these situations, right? You know, like if I if I wanted to get good food, I, I would go to like fine dining or whatever. But if I wanted like maximum value, you know, like I, I would go I would go to get all you can eat. And so I would strategize. I would, I'd, I'd legitimately strategize. You know, wearing stretchy pants is is always a big key, of course. But the real strategy, the real strategy is. You'd fill your stomach first with the good stuff, right? You'd get the beef, the lamb, lobsters, crabs, all the, all the quote-unquote more expensive items that they offer. And you eat that until you're absolutely sick of it, and when you're sick of it, then you can eat veggies, some carbs here and there, maybe some side dishes. But the real secret, the real secret is to not drink a lot of water, to not drink a lot of liquids, or else you would get very full very, very fast. You know, I got this down to like a complete science in my life. But the thing is, often in life, we fill ourselves with water. We fill ourselves with the carbs first. We put our errands and our work as the top priority in our lives. But when we do that, we don't leave time or space for the meat. We don't leave space for the good stuff. We don't leave time for God, right? That's the filet mignon, the top of the top. But we also don't leave enough time for our family, our close friends, or even our health. And so eat the meat first. Prioritize God first, and then the carbs. And if there's room after that, then drink water. God, family, health, then your work, then your finances. And finally, your hobbies, errands, and everything else that is urgent but not important. And when we do this, when we actually take an inventory of all the things that are, that are in our lives, we'll realize quite quickly that there are certain sacrifices that we have to make. As comfortable, as uncomfortable as it might mean, in order to prioritize these things first, it might mean getting a different job, 
It might mean putting down our time or spending less time on social media or on TV. It might mean saying no to certain individuals or things. The thing is, we as adults, we all know how to budget our money. But this is what it means to budget our time. We're all given 24 hours each day. Spend it wisely. Let's not fill it up with things that are urgent. Let us not fill it up with empty carbs. Let us eat real meat. Let us not forget God in the midst of the craziness of life because he's the only person we can genuinely draw strength from in the darkness of our lives and in the storms that come our way. And so we have the young, we have those who have reached the peak as adults, but now we have those who are reaching um, your golden age. And for you guys, I have something for you too. I think this is often a, a pretty frightening point in our lives, or, or it could also be a period of our lives where it's characterized by a lot of numbness. And the reason I say this is because the, the truth of our mortality, unfortunately, comes closer and closer. Last week, we, we talked about the transience of all things, how everything's come and go, including our lives itself. And this is a truth that you all see quite well. But to you, I say, take courage, take hope. Why? Because the race is almost done. The finish line is in sight. Last Sunday, I, I had the pleasure of seeing marathon runners cross the line. Um, they're clad, they're, you know, they're absolutely like, you know, <laughs> they're just like, oh my gosh. They're, they're happy not just because the race is over, but they're happy because they have run the race well. They made it, they finished. They didn't stop before the finish line. And in the very end, as they cross that line, they're given a medal as a proof of all the hard training that they have done outside a marathon and also the hard work that they performed in the marathon itself. It is proof that they have finished the race well. Doesn't matter if you're first or last, everyone receives a medal. Likewise, we all long to hear the words from Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. And so don't give in to despair. Our hands grow weak, our visions fade, our hearing is not as sharp, our energy dwindles. These are all true, but what also is true is that the finish line is insight, and everlasting joy is our reward. However, however, the race is not yet done. We have retired from our work, we have retired from our occupation, but the harvest is still plentiful and the workers are few. And what I'm always encouraged to see is that you all, even in your uh, advanced age, you are all still serving God in whatever ways that you can, to the best of your ability, you still use your energy for the Lord. And I think that's something that all of us can continue to learn from. But there will come a time when we cannot be as physically active as we want. And so during this period of our lives where we can't be physically active for the Lord, how do we continue to put God first? Earlier, I, I told the students to find a mentor. But in order for the students to find a mentor, it requires us to be willing to mentor ourselves. To teach and to mentor is incredibly powerful for two reasons. First, it deepens our own understanding because in order for me to teach, in order for me to preach, in order for me to mentor, I need to know what I'm talking about. 
I need to delve into scripture myself. I need to challenge my own understandings. I need to be able to articulate my faith in a way that resonates with, those, uh, with others around me. But on the other hand, mentoring is also the only way to pass on the wisdom and the experience of a lifetime. Have you guys ever wondered how we as humans are able to far surpass any other animal in this world? how we can create cities, complex technology, and various other advancements. Have you guys ever wondered that? You know, other animals are quite smart. Dolphins are, are, are very, very smart in their own rights. But why are we so far above them? Some people say that, oh, it's because of community, it's because we are smarter, we have prefrontal cortex. Sure, maybe, but the real secret as to how we have advanced so far than any other thing that exists in this world, the real reason is because we have learned from our elders. We don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. Our elders have lived, and Pat have lived a lifetime. They have learned a lifetime's worth of wisdom, a lifetime's worth of experience, and they can pass on that wisdom, that experience, even to a young child so that even these kids gathered right here might have the wisdom and the knowledge of someone who is 80 years old. All of us who are older, whether we are adults or in retirement, all of us have had individuals who left footprints in our hearts. People who have gone off to live with the Lord, but their wisdom and their influence, it's still alive in our hearts. We all have people like that in our lives, no? And so for all of you, I encourage you to remember your creator by remembering your duty to make disciples of all nations, not converts of all nations, but disciples, to nurture and to disciple those who are younger than you, to leave your footprints in their hearts and so that you can pass on the legacy, the experiences, all the things that you have inherited even from those who are older than you. And so as we come to the end of our sermon here today, I, I hope you all have been able to take something wise, take something practical to build a deeper faith in God. I think for me, at least, this, this has been a very fun series for me, and, and this message has been very fun for me to kind of think through and process through because this is what it looks like when theology is applied practically. It's the process of moving our love of God from our heads to our hearts, and finally, into our hands as we serve one another. And so as we're about to come into a time of prayer, I, I want to encourage you to think in your own life why you should remember God. What are some stumbling blocks that come along your way, and how can you develop this deeper relationship with him? I think there are so many reasons, so many stumbling blocks along the way. I've hit some that I thought came to my mind, um, as I meditated and as I reflected on this, but there are so many other stumbling blocks out there. And I, I encourage you, if, if there's some stumbling block that's preventing you from developing that deeper relationship with God, that's preventing you from remembering God even in the midst of difficulty, I invite you to talk to a leader or maybe talk to me privately about some of these things. And, and as you talk to us, you allow us to wrestle alongside you, to walk alongside you as you wrestle with it yourselves. But for this, well, for now at least, um, why don't we come together as, as one body uh, for a time of prayer? So let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we just want to thank you that although sometimes we forget you, um, you have not forgotten us. You have left the 99 sheep to find us, and you have brought all of us home here today, here at 59th Street. And so, Lord, let us remember you always. Let us remember you in our youths. Let us remember you in our adult lives. And even as we grow old, let us never forget you. Teach us, Father. Lead us to develop that deeper relationship with you so that our eyes are always fixed upon you. But at the same time, Lord, we also pray that you'll convict us. Show us how we have fallen short. Show us places that we think or things that we think are more important than you. But, Father, we also pray that as we as we are convicted of our sins, that you will give us the wisdom to see what our stumbling blocks are, but we also pray that you'll give us wisdom to see how we can overcome them. Lord, today I pray for unity. I pray for true Christian fellowship. Um, Often we think this is a race that that we have to run alone, but it is not. So let us pick each other's cross up. Let us enter into each other's lives. Let us carry one another's burdens. Let us love one another as we love ourselves. Father, remembering you, Lord, is always easier when we do it together. And so bless us as a body, bless us as your body, and let us keep our eyes upon you every second of every day. I pray all of this in your precious son's name. Amen.